Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and I are going to be talking about mountain bike helmets and hopefully telling you almost everything you need to know about them. So I want to start off talking about the history of mountain bike helmets. And before the 1970s, a lot of the early bike helmets were really just like straps of leather that people put around their heads. They called them the hairnet style. And these helmets were mainly for abrasion protection, right? They didn't really help you in the event of a crash. Yeah, I saw one quote that said they were didn't help so much with the impact, but they helped you from grinding your ear off on the road should you crash. So pretty gruesome. Um, but yeah, it, it looked kind of like the you know the old school like football helmet. Yeah, so you've probably seen these style of helmets in like the Breaking Away movie. Just a real basic, you know, it's really is just some straps of padded leather on your head. Yeah, and so. People used those helmets for a while, but then in the 1970s, they started realizing they weren't really that effective, right? Well, yeah, it actually took an independent uh, organization to do that, and that was the uh, Snell Foundation. So I believe it was 1970. This is an independent nonprofit organization that, that tests helmets. They started testing the bicycle helmets that were available on the market, and they found pretty much all of them to be next to useless. Right, so then... Shortly thereafter, uh, a couple of companies, MSR and Bell, uh, which is a familiar name to most mountain bikers, started making helmets out of polystyrene. And this was something that was being used already in motorcycle helmets a little bit. So they were kind of crossing over and bringing that technology over to the bike side. So what did you find out about how riders' perceptions of helmets have changed over the years? Well, I think largely, uh, at least on the mountain biking side, helmets are just kind of, you know, it's part of the gear. It's part of the uniform when you go mountain biking. But it's interesting. I think you found out that it wasn't even until 2003, 2004 that the UCI began requiring helmets in races. I think that was probably just road races. But before that, you could see riders opting not to wear a helmet on like the mountain stages for the Tour de France where they're going to be climbing all day. You know, there's Shots from the late 90s and early 2000s of, you know, you can see these like Lance Armstrong and Marco Pantani and all these other guys climbing without helmets on because, you know, you're, you're climbing, it's hot. So they could choose not to wear a helmet, which is kind of crazy to think about that. It was only, you know, 15 years or so ago that they were doing that. Yeah. And what actually precipitated that in 2003 was a uh, rider died in the Tour de France uh, after a crash. And so, Quickly thereafter, the UCI started requiring helmets, and they did sort of phase it in. So like you said, they they required them for most of the race, but if you were within five kilometers of the top of a climb, then you could toss your helmet off. And so a lot of riders did. A lot of riders were really anti-helmet. They didn't want to wear them because they didn't think they were comfortable and felt like they were hot. But obviously that's changed now, and, and mountain bikers, like you said, have worn them for a long time. A lot of trail systems actually to require that all 
riders wear helmets. And then there's also helmet laws from state to state. What did you find out about that? Yeah, it really varies um, state to state. So for instance, here in Georgia, any person under 16 years of age is required to wear a helmet when riding a bike or if you're a passenger on a bike. So obviously that's like little kids, you know, sitting in a trailer or on a you know little seat behind you. And that law covers, it covers roads, it covers sidewalks, bike paths, trails, basically anywhere um, you would ride a bike. If you're under 16 in Georgia, you better be wearing a helmet. In national parks, though, it's a little bit different. So the state laws regarding helmets apply. Although park superintendents, they can choose to institute a rule requiring helmets in the park if there is no state law requiring it. So that's kind of up to the individual parks should their state not have something. Yeah, and a lot of parks, like you said, um, you know, at, at all levels, county or state or national forests, they will have a sign at the trailhead, a lot of times letting you know that helmets are required. So definitely pay attention to that or just wear a helmet all the time and you'll be safe. Yeah, I think kind of like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's just assumed and accepted that at some point you're going to crash your mountain bike. And when you do, it's better to have the protection than not. So you know, certain segments of cycling, there's, you know, maybe less helmet use, like the, where it's not cool to wear a helmet. You know, I still see the fixie videos of kids racing through, well, they're not kids, but, you know, <laughs> younger adults racing through San Francisco and New York and cutting through traffic and they're not wearing helmets. But yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's their choice. But, uh, yeah, I wear a helmet all the time everywhere. And I think, that a majority of riders do. Yeah, you're right. Like you said, it's, it is sort of the norm in mountain biking now. And it's funny because, you know, I'll be flipping through the photos that single tracks members upload to the website, you know, they'll upload trail photos and shots of their buddies riding. And every time I see a shot of someone riding on a trail without a helmet on, it just looks weird to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's shocking. It's almost like, Oh my gosh. It's like, he's got a cigarette in his mouth or something, you know, like, it's like, this shouldn't be like they, this person should not have posted this photo, but yeah, it's like, uh, I get the same reaction when you go to a state that doesn't have uh helmet laws for motorcycles, for instance, like South Carolina doesn't have a uh, helmet law for motorcycles. So, um, yeah, you'll see some guy riding down the highway on a Harley with his, you know, his little gray hair is blowing in the wind and <laughs> it, it, it does. It, it's uh, every time I see it, I'm like, Whoa, what? Something's not right. And you go, Oh yeah. He's not wearing a helmet. So uh, I, I, know, I know that feeling. Well, so let's get into talking about helmets themselves, what they're made up of. So a helmet is basically going to have a few basic parts. The first part being the shell, and that's the outer part that you see on the top of the helmet. Most It's, it's generally made of plastic. Um, sometimes you see carbon fiber or other materials there. But most of the helmets especially the vented helmets that mountain bikers wear are what are known as soft shells. Um, the plastic is, is really thin. Like if you were to separate it, you could easily flex it back and forth, but it's, it's there mostly for looks. Honestly, it doesn't provide a ton of structural support to the helmet. There's also hard shell helmets, uh, which again, the shell is it's plastic, but it's going to be a lot thicker and this is what you usually see on like the skate style helmets, which have less vents on them. Yeah, I think um, also the shell is just kind of used to protect the foam, which is on the inside as well. Because, you know, if you just had 
just a foam layered, you know, throwing it around in the back of your car or, you know, baking under the sun, that could definitely cause your helmet to deteriorate and, you know, fall apart before, before it's time. So, uh, I think the, in a lot of ways, the shell is there to protect the, the inside, you know, kind of like an M&M. Right. Right. Exactly. It's not there to protect your head. It's there to protect the thing that protects your head. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and in the old days, they didn't actually have, uh, shells on a lot of helmets. So you would have seen like these white styrofoam. It looks like a styrofoam cup basically on somebody's head. Just, you know, raw polystyrene or whatever, just flapping in the wind. So. Right. And then you get the sweet neon cover that's like a hairnet that snaps right. over the top. So you can, <laughs> you know, you can be more aero and, uh, you know, you can match whatever, uh, skin suit you're wearing that day. Right. I forgot about those. All right. So then inside moving underneath the shell, you have the polystyrene generally. Um, and that stuff is, you know, it's the gray, uh, really hard material that you see inside your helmet. That's what provides all the structure. It's very stiff, um, but it's also lightweight. So that's a big thing that makes helmets comfortable. You know, in the old days, I don't think they were as lightweight. And so people were less inclined to wear them. Then inside the polystyrene, uh, you typically have pads because you don't want that, you know, hard layer right up against your, your noggin inside the helmet. And the pads, you know, they're there for comfort, but they're also there to improve the fit. So that's what lets the helmet, you know, conform to your head a little bit more. And a lot of helmets have like removable pads. So you can take those out, um, and wash them, you know, if they get sweaty or whatever. I personally tend to find that that's the first thing that wears out on a helmet for me. Other than a crash, you know, the reason I'm going to get a new helmet is because those pads break down over time and they're not feeling comfortable anymore. Yeah, or in my case, they just smell really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's another good reason. All right, and then finally you have uh, some sort of retention system, something to keep the helmet on your head. So, you know, at the most basic level, that's straps, um, but then there's also a lot of helmets these days have like boa style or ratchet style um, closure systems to really tighten the helmet around your head in addition to, you know, having a chin strap to keep it bolted on. All right. So what makes mountain bike helmets unique? We talked about motorcycle helmets, um, but there's also road bike helmets, too. And a lot of people are curious about if they can use the same helmet for both. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're going to meet the same, you know, minimum safety requirements. So, you know, a road helmet's certainly fine to use off-road, although it may not offer as much, you know, rear coverage on the back of your head as uh, mountain bike-specific options. I mean, really, the only difference between many road and XC helmets are, you know, comes down to aesthetics. Like the XC helmet is going to have a visor, and the road helmet won't. So, um, a lot of times, it just boils down to looks. You know, there's something that looks more mountain bikey maybe it has a you know more mountain bikey graphics or paint job or something you know as far as like moto you you know you probably wouldn't want to use a moto helmet unless you were riding downhill specifically Um, but even then a moto helmet is going to be a lot heavier than a downhill full face helmet and that's just because the you know the moto helmet has to meet a different safety requirement you know obviously you can get going a lot faster on a on a motorcycle at least you can get going faster quicker so you can i've had buddies that have used their uh moto helmets and bike parks and stuff like that but you can definitely start to feel it in your neck at the end of a long day yes 
That's for sure. Yeah, a lot of companies are, these days, their mountain bike helmet and their road helmets are the same. So they'll just ship a visor in the box. And if you're on the road, you don't put the visor on. And if you're on a mountain bike, you do. So yeah, there really is no difference. I rode with a road bike helmet for mountain biking for many years. Um, I just found a road bike helmet that I liked better. It was It seemed to be lighter weight and just fit me better than any of the mountain bike helmets. So yeah, so that's totally totally acceptable. So what are the things that people should look for when they're buying a helmet? There are a lot of things to consider. So yeah, what are the, what are the important things? Well, first and foremost, I would put fit at the top of the list. Um, that is the most important thing because if your helmet's not comfortable, you're not going to want to wear it. And, um, if it's not comfortable, it's going to detract from your ride. You know, if, if you're on a long ride and your helmet has some weird pressure points on it. It's just going to make you really uncomfortable and irritated. So make sure first and foremost that you have a helmet that fits you well. You know, get the one that's most comfortable, even if it's not the coolest looking one, because, you know, you don't have to look at yourself that often when you're wearing a helmet. So it's all right. You know, and all helmet companies and even, you know, the models within a certain brand are going to fit differently. So it's best to try a bunch of different ones on you know, I've been bit in the past by trying to order a helmet online and then it showed up and didn't fit. So, you know, some are, some are going to have, be more round. Some are going to be more oval. You know, some have shallow shells, some have deep shells, but the only way to know which is going to work best for your particular head is to try it on. Yeah. Fit is definitely the most important. That's, you know, I have a number of helmets and I find the one that I keep going back to is the one that fits the best, you know, doesn't really matter how the other ones look or anything else. Yeah, it really just comes down to how it feels on the bike. And for me, it took me a long time to figure out that I wasn't a size large head. Like even figuring out what size I needed, uh, for some reason just took me a long time. And now I know that I, I need to get the medium small. And, but helmet sizing is something that can be a little tricky and a little weird. Um, there aren't, most companies have what, two sizes? in their helmets. They, they have like a small, medium and a medium, large. Yeah. So there aren't a lot of choices there. And if you're in between head sizes, then yeah, it's really hard to know which way to go. So like you said, try them on. Yeah, that I definitely run into that exact issue. I'm kind of in between medium and a large. So a lot of times if I go for the smaller size, it's just, you know, it's just a little too small. It's not quite comfortable enough. But then if I get the large, I'm like, cranking down the retention mechanisms all the way and like once those things develop any you know any little bit of play or once the pads kind of get worn in a little bit then the helmet's moving around on my head so um, I definitely feel you there with uh, trying to find the ideal size. Yeah so you mentioned uh, when you were talking about moto helmets that they're heavy so what about weight what are you looking for um, in terms of weight on a helmet? Well, that's kind of a, a personal preference. You know, there are super light helmets available, but they're obviously, you know, like anything in cycling that usually the lighter something is, the more expensive it's going to be. And they're also going to be a little bit more fragile because they are so lightweight. And, you know, many of these lightweight helmets, they come with a carrying case to keep them in when they aren't on your head because, I mean, they are, they're just that they're performance oriented. These are not, this is not something you want to, clip to your, you know, hydration pack and chuck it in your trunk when you're done riding. Like this is something you're going to actually want to take care of a little bit more. Personally, you know, I'll sacrifice a few grams for a little bit more 
durability. But I will say, you know, again, you can tell the difference at the at the end of a long day between a heavy helmet and a lighter one. Yeah, well, one of the ways that companies do try to save weight on helmets is by adding more vents and bigger vents. I'm a big fan of highly vented helmets, uh, but there are a lot of choices out there on the market. We mentioned skate-style helmets, uh, which not a lot of mountain bikers use, but, you know, if you're into park riding or, you know, pump tracks or that sort of thing, um, that style is a little more popular. And I've used some of these helmets, like skate-style helmets and even full-face helmets, can be good in winter months um, because they're Obviously, they're not as vented and you're going to stay warmer in those. Right. Yeah. So it all depends on where you ride and I guess when you're riding as well. Us being down here in the southeast, uh, like Jeff, I, I'd say the more vents, the better. You need to think about, you know, where you ride and how hot you run personally, too. Like I run, I tend to run really hot, so I kind of need all the all the venting I can get. Yeah. So one of the trade-offs with a lot of vents and with vented helmets is mounting positions on the helmet. So I do a lot of night riding. So I mount a bike light on the top of my helmet. A lot of other people are putting, you know, helmet cameras on and things like that. So to me, the helmet mounting options are actually kind of important when I'm picking out a helmet. Some of the helmets these days actually have solutions built in. They'll come with a, like a mounting system that's built into the helmet designed for the helmet um, and those are sort of hit or miss, right, Aaron? Yeah, they can, some of them work really well. You know, some of them include the pieces in the box. Some of them are, you know, very specific to a certain brand, like maybe GoPro. Um, you know, that's the, uh, definitely the most dominant POV camera out there. So, uh, a lot of helmets with a provision for a POV camera are gonna, are gonna use that GoPro standard. But, you know, you can find mounts. That will adapt to almost any other brand. And a lot of the, you know, kind of knockoff cameras use the same mounting style as GoPro as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, my favorite helmet is the Smith Forefront and it's my favorite just in terms of fit, just because it fits my, my head so well. But it does, it uses a different sort of, um, material on the inside for the impact. So instead of using polystyrene, it uses uh, a material they call choroid, which is, Basically, looks like a bunch of little straws glued together. But what this doesn't allow for is any way to run like straps through the vents because, you know, there's, there's no space to do it. So you have to use their little mount that clips onto the top of the helmet. And then it only works with like certain, uh, strap style mounts for lights. So it, it is kind of limiting. So if you are, you know, if you already have a drawer full of, one brand of lights or something and you're at home and that's, that's what you want to use, then, you know, be sure that you can actually use it with your helmet. Yeah. And these dedicated helmet mount systems are designed to break away, especially if you've ridden much at night uh, or even during the day with something on your helmet, you've no doubt clipped it on low tree branches and things like that. So just be aware of that. And, you know, it's generally not a good idea to jury rig your own sort of helmet mount system that doesn't include any kind of breakaway option on it. Um, people can, you know, in doing our research about helmets, I read some things about helmet kids being hung uh, by their helmet straps. So kids playing on a playground wearing a helmet, 
you know, they jump off a thing and their helmet gets caught on something. And yeah, you can get hung by your helmet strap basically. And I've had this happen to me before as well when a breakaway doesn't work. So you definitely want to be mindful of that when you're mounting anything to the top of your helmet. And that's why a lot of companies don't provide a solution because they're worried about the liability of, you know, promoting a product that allows you to do that. Right. Because if you have a camera or something on top of your head and it's in a rigid mount and you crash, it could totally affect the way that that helmet keeps your head safe, you know? So you're, you're, you're adding another piece to the helmet that wasn't there when they designed it and when they were testing it for safety standards. So like Jeff said, definitely something to keep in mind. Yes. All right. So additional safety stuff. Um, a lot of the things that we hear about these days are the, I guess the hot thing in mountain bike helmets seems to be MIPS. So MIPS is a proprietary uh, solution that basically allows your helmet to slide around a little bit, independent of the wearer's head in the event of an impact. So the easiest way to describe it is it's like a shell inside of your helmet that kind of moves around on its own. And it doesn't move a whole lot. You know, it can basically move in any direction, you know, just a quarter of an inch or so. But the research has shown that this slows down any movement that the helmet is going to transfer to your head. Uh, and this is meant to reduce the chances for a concussion. It's not going to prevent concussions or anything like that. But what we we're seeing in the early days was that this would add significantly to the cost of a helmet. A lot of times it would be like $100 more for a MIPS version of the same helmet. Um, but fortunately, we're seeing the cost of that come down these days. And we're also seeing uh, a lot of other companies using their own concussion reduction technology. Uh, Liat, for example, has their turbine 360 degrees system, which does the same thing. It allows the helmet to move somewhat slightly independently of the wearer's head in the event of a crash. All right, so finally, we'll talk about cost. What should people think about when they're thinking about spending money on a helmet? Well, the good thing about a helmet is even a cheap one is going to meet the, you know, the minimum safety requirements. So you don't have to spend a ton of money to get a helmet that is going to be safe. You know, you can go to any bike shop and get a helmet for probably, you know, 35 or $40. And then obviously as you spend more money, you're going to get more bells and whistles. So you're going to get the, you know, you're going to get MIPS, you're going to get lighter materials, you're going to get other technologies and generally more adjustability. So again, it can all depend on, you know, if the cheap helmet fits you and it's comfortable and you're happy with it, then get that. But um, yeah, I guess you don't have to spend a ton of money to get to get a helmet that's going to that's gonna do the job. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so a lot of this discussion, we've focused on sort of traditional, you know, cross-country to enduro-style helmets, uh, but there's also a lot of people who wear full-face helmets on the mountain bike trail. So who needs a full-face helmet? Yeah, so a full-face helmet, um, it basically looks like a, a motocross helmet, so it has a, a chin bar, you know, to protect your face, um, and then usually like a large visor off the top, but really only need one, I would say, if you're riding like downhill-specific trails or if you're in a bike park. Most bike parks are going to um, require a full-face helmet at minimum, so... Uh, you know, you can, you could wear a full face all the time if you really wanted to, if you wanted that added protection. 
but it's going to be pretty hot and uncomfortable for a trail ride. You know, your, your visibility is going to be a little bit limited. You're not going to be able to, to hear as well. And, you know, it's, it's covering your whole head and face. So it's definitely going to get warm, especially on the climbs. Right. And those helmets are much more expensive as well, which is something to keep in mind. And as you said, people, some people do use them on every trail ride. Um, I know we met a guy out in Colorado who wears full face helmet on all of his rides because he had suffered some traumatic brain injuries, uh, in the past. And so, um, he, he just has to be super careful about anything that's going to impact his head. So, you know, he chooses to wear full face no matter what he's riding, uh, because of the added protection. So there are also helmets on the market, like the Bell super that have removable chin bars. So a lot of people want to know though, are these any good? Is it like a gimmick or is it, is it the real deal? Does it give you additional protection? Yeah, that's kind of a loaded question, I guess. Um, you know, they can provide some additional protection for your face in the event that you go over your bars and we're going to land on your face. But in actuality, very few of these helmets actually meet the downhill full face standard with the chin bar in place. So they can provide some protection, but yeah, is it as much as a downhill helmet? No, at least in uh, most cases. The ones I could find, the Laser Revolution and the Jira Switchblade are the ones that actually meet downhill safety standards with the chin bar on. So, but like the the Super, for instance, uh, does not. Right, and so we usually do see the people that are using those helmets are not necessarily using them for downhill. A lot of them are using them for enduro, right? So, what are enduro helmets, and are they any safer than, say, a regular helmet? Yeah, well, you have, you know, you have the removable chin bar type helmets that uh, a lot of enduro racers are, are using, but you also have kind of the trail or I guess enduro category of helmets. And these just tend to offer a little bit more rear coverage. So more coverage on the back of your head around, around your ears. They tend to sit a little bit lower on your head because they have a deeper shell. So I would, I would think so. I mean, more of your head is covered. So that seems like. Not a bad idea if it's if it's still comfortable and it's not too hot. I think having a little bit of added coverage is probably a good thing. Yeah, you're definitely seeing this style of helmet take on off more with more riders, um, even if they're not doing enduro cross-country riders and people. So, yeah, it seems like we're seeing the helmets sort of adapt and get longer in the back, like you said. I'm not sure how that helps. I, I can't imagine a situation where I would ever fall on the back of my head or impact my neck, but I guess I'm sure there's science behind that. Yeah. Well, you never, I mean, yeah, once you leave the bike, who knows <laughs> how or what you're going to land on. fair game. That's right. All right. So we've kind of briefly touched on this uh, throughout our conversation, but w- what are sort of the helmet safety standards that are out there? I know the main one is the CPSC standard, which all helmets are going to um, hopefully pass but there are others out there as well, right? Right. Yes, there are. There's the um, the ANSI, the ANSI, I believe, and the uh, the Snell also test helmets. Yeah. So there are actually um, half a dozen or more different standards that uh, companies use to test their helmets, and each of these helmets is slightly different. You know, the CPSC uh, is kind of the gold standard; it's the main thing that you're going to look for. 
in terms of the impacts one would expect from biking. But then these other tests cover more specific stuff. So like sharp object impact penetration. Some of them even do visibility tests. So they'll check like a downhill helmet to see what your field of vision is with that helmet. And then other tests too will focus on specific situations like riding in cold weather, for example. This is something that like ski helmet manufacturers do, but you know, as mountain bikers get into fat biking more, people want to know how does the material hold up in say sub freezing temperatures? Is it going to be too rigid or too brittle or whatever? So there's a lot of standards out there. Basically any helmet you buy is going to meet at least again, the minimum standards. Um, but you know, if you're concerned about specific things, you know, mitigating specific risks on the bike, then you can definitely look for helmets that meet those standards. Okay. So last question, how do, how do we know when it's time to replace a helmet? Well, the easiest way is if you've crashed. So if you crash and you either crack or crush, if even if you just crush that foam that's um, in your helmet, you really need to replace your helmet. When this happens, when a helmet breaks or when it crushes, that means it did its job. You know, that's what it was designed to do and it broke. So your head didn't break. So yeah, if you were to wear that helmet again and get in another crash in a broken helmet, it's not going to offer you the same level of protection. Yeah. And remember at the start of the episode, we talked about the shell on the helmet. So again, the shell is the thing that covers the foam inside of your helmet. And a lot of times, if you get in a crash, the shell will look fine because it just bounces back. But if you were to peel the shell off of your helmet, you would see that the foam is dented or it's cracked or crushed or whatever. So just because you like jump up after a crash and look at your helmet and you're like, hey, it looks fine. It's probably not fine if you impacted it in any significant way. What about the age of the helmet? Is there a certain age did you find anything about sort of the materials breaking down over time or anything like that? I mean, they definitely can because, you know, they're foam. Like the, the foam underneath the shell can break down, and that can break down from wear and tear. It can break down from your sweat. It can break down from, you know, UV rays from the sun. Same thing with the pads on the inside. In a lot of cases, you can replace those interior pads, uh, you know, at least a time or two. But, you know, it's probably a good idea to replace your helmet every couple seasons even if it isn't cracked, just to be safe, just because that foam can, you know, it can get brittle and then it's not going to do its job should you, should you need it. Awesome. Those are great tips. If you want to learn more about mountain bike helmets, be sure to check out our buyer's guide for helmets and also check out our list of some of the top helmets according to single tracks readers. If you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, be sure to rate us on the iTunes store. That's all we have this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace.